Chapter Four of Cocoa and Chocolate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. Cocoa and Chocolate: Their History from Plantation to Consumer by Arthur W. Knapp. Chapter Four. Cacao Production and Sale. When one starts to discuss, however briefly, the producing areas, one ought first to take off one's hat to Ecuador, for so long the principal producer, and then to Venezuela, the land of the original cacao, and producer of the finest Criollo type. Having done this, one ought to say words of praise to Trinidad, Granada, and Ceylon for their scientific methods of culture and preparation and last but not least the newest and greatest producer the gold coast should receive honorable mention it is interesting to note that in nineteen eighteen british possessions produced nearly half forty four per cent of the world's supply whilst the war has not very materially hindered the increase of cacao production in the tropics the shortage of shipping has prevented the amount exported from maintaining a steady rise. The table below, taken mainly from the Gordian, illustrates this. World production of cacao. Total in tons. One ton equals 1,000 kilograms. 1908, 194,000. 1909, 206,000. 1910, 220,000. 1911, 241,000. 1912, 234,000. 1913, 258,000. 1914, 277,000. 1915, 298,000. 1916, 297,000. 1917, 343,000. 1918, 273,000. 1919, 431,000. The following table is compiled chiefly from Monsieur's Theo Vasmer and Company's reports in the Confectioner's Union. Cacao production of the chief producing areas of the world. One ton equals 1,000 kilograms. Gold Coast, 1914, 53,000. 1915, 77,300. 1916, 72,200. 1917, 91,000. 1918, 66,300. Brazil, 1914, 40,800. 1915, 45,000. 1916, 43,700. 1917, 55,600. 1918, 41,900. Ecuador, 1914, 47,200. 1915, 37,000. 1916, 42,700. 1917, 47,200. 1918, 38,000. San Tomé, 1914, 31,400. 1915, 29,900. 1916, 33,200. 1917, 31,900. 1918, 26,600. Trinidad, 1914, 28,400. 1915, 24,100. 1916, 24,000. 1917, 
31,800. 1918, 26,200. San Domingo, 1914, 20,700. 1915, 20,200. 1916, 21,000. 1917, 23,700. 1918, 18,800 tons. Venezuela, 1914, 16,900. 1915, 18,300. 1916, 15,200. 1917, 13,100. 1918, 13,000. Lagos, 1914, 4,900. 1915, 9,100. 1916, 9,000. 1917, 15,400. 1918, 10,200. Granada, 1914, 6,100. 1915, 6,500. 1916, 5,500. 1917, 5,500. 1918, 6,700. Fernando Po, 1914, 3,100. 1915, 3,900. 1916, 3,800. 1917, 3,700. 1918, 4,200 tons. Ceylon, 1914, 2,900. 1915, 3,900. 1916, 3,500. 1917, 3,700. 1918, 4,000. Jamaica, 1914, 3,800. 1915, 3,600. 1916, 3,400. 1917, 2,800. 1918, 3,000. Suriname, 1914, 1,900. 1915, 1,700. 1916, 2,000. 1917, 1,900. 1918, 2,500 tons. Cameroons, 1914, 1,200. 1915, 2,400. 1916, 3,000. 1917, 2,800. 1918, 1,300. Haiti, 1914, 2,100. 1915, 1,800. 1916, 1,900. 1917, 1,500. 1918, 2,300. French colonies, 1914, 1,800. 1915, 1,900. 1916, 1,600. 1917, 2,200. 1918, 1,700 tons. Cuba, 1914, 1,800. 1915, 1,700. 1916, 1,500. 1917, 1,500. 1918, 1,000 tons. Java, 1914, 1,600. 1915, 1,500. 1916, 1,500. 1917, 1,600. 1918, 800. Samoa, 1914, 1,100. 1915, 900. 1916, 900. 
1917, 1,200. 1918, 800. Togo, 1914, 200. 1915, 300. 1916, 400. 1917, 1,600. 1918, 1,000. St. Lucia, 1914, 700. 1915, 800. 1916, 700. 1917, 600. 1918, 500. Belgian Congo, 1914, 500. 1915, 600. 1916, 800. 1917, 800. 1918, 900. Dominica, 1914, 450. 1915, 550. 1916, 300. 1917, 300. 1918, 300. St. Vincent, 1914, 100. 1915, 100. 1916, 75. 1917, 50. 1918, 75. Other countries, 1914, 3,200. 1915, 3,000. 1916, 3,500. 1917, 3,500. 1918, 3,500. Total tons, 1914, 275,900. 1915, 296,100. 1916, 295,400. 1917, 344,000. 1918, 275,600. Total British Empire, 1914, 102,000. 1915, 128,000. 1916, 120,000. 1917, 153,000. 1918, 119,000. South American Cacao. In the map of South America, given on page 89, the principal cacao producing areas are marked. Their production in 1918 was as follows. Cacao beans exported. Brazil, 41,865 metric tons. Percentage of the world's production, 15.4. Ecuador, 38,000 metric tons. Percentage of the world's production, 14. Venezuela, 13,000 metric tons. Percentage of the world's production, 5. Suriname, 2,468 metric tons. Percentage of the world's production, 9 tenths. British Guiana, 20 metric tons. Percentage of the world's production, 100. South American total, 93,353 tons. Percentage of world's population, 35.31%. Ecuador. Arriba and Machela Cacayos. In Ecuador, for many years, the chief producing area of the world dwell the cacao kings, men who possess very large and wild cacao forests, each containing several million cacao trees. The method of culture is primitive, and no artificial manures are used, yet for several generations the trees have given good crops and the soil remains as fertile as ever. The two principal cacaos are known as Arriba and Machala, or classed together as Guayaquil, after the city of that name. 
guayaquil the commercial metropolis of the republic of ecuador is an ancient and picturesque city built almost astride the equator despite the unscientific cultural methods and the imperfect fermentation which results in the cacao containing a high percentage of unfermented beans and not infrequently moldy beans also this cacao is much appreciated in europe and america for the beans are large and possess a fine strong flavor and characteristic scented aroma the amount of guayaquil cacao exported in 1919 was 33,209 tons an interesting experiment was made in 1912 when a protective association known as the asociacion de agricultores del ecuador was legalized this collects half a golden dollar on every hundred pounds of cacao and by purchasing and storing cacao on its own account whenever prices fall below a reasonable minimum attempts in the planter's interest to regulate the selling price of cacao unfortunately as cacao tends to go moldy when stored in a damp tropical climate the asociacion is not an unmixed blessing to the manufacturer and consumer brazil para and bahia cacaos brazil has made marked progress in recent years and has now overtaken ecuador in quantity of produce the cacao however is quite different from and not as fine as that from guayaquil the principal cacao comes from the state of bahia where the climate is ideal for its cultivation indeed so perfect are the natural conditions that formerly no care was taken in cacao production and much of that gathered was wild and uncured during the last decade there has been an improvement and this would doubtless be more noteworthy if the means of transport were better for at present the roads are bad and the railways inadequate hence most of the cacao is brought down to the city of bahia in canoes nevertheless bahia cacao is better fermented than the peculiar cacao of para another important cacao from brazil which is appreciated by manufacturers on account of its mild flavor bahia exported in 1919 about 51,000 tons of cacao venezuela caracas carupano and maracaibo cacaos venezuela has been called the classic home of cacao and had not the chief occupation of its inhabitants been revolution it would have retained till now the important position it held a hundred years ago it is in this enchanted country that the finest cacao in the world is produced the criollo the bean with the golden brown break the tree which produces this is as delicate as the cacao is fine and there is some danger that this superb cacao may die out a tragedy which every connoisseur would wish to avert the gordian estimates that venezuela sent out from her three principal ports in nineteen nineteen some sixteen thousand two hundred twenty six tons of cacao in the map of south america the principal west indian islands producing cacao are marked their production in nineteen eighteen was as follows cacao beans exported trinidad british twenty six thousand one hundred seventy seven metric tons percentage of the world's production nine point seven san domingo eighteen thousand eight hundred thirty nine metric tons 
seven percent of the world's production granada british six thousand seven hundred four metric tons two point five percent of the world's production jamaica british three thousand metric tons one point one percent of the world's production haiti two thousand two hundred seventy two metric tons eight tenths of a percent of the world's production st lucia british 500 metric tons, two-tenths of a percent of world's population. Dominica, British, 300 metric tons, one-tenth of a percent of the world's production. St. Vincent, British, 70 metric tons, two-hundredths of a percent of the world's production. West Indies total, 57,862 tons, 21.42% British West Indies 36,751 tons 13.6% Trinidad and Grenada Cacao was grown in the West Indies in the 17th century and the inhabitants after the destructive blast which utterly destroyed the plantations in 1727 bravely replanted cacao which has flourished there ever since the cacaos of trinidad and granada have long been known for their existence and it is mainly from trinidad that the knowledge of methods of scientific cultivation and preparation has been spread to planters all round the equator the cacao from trinidad famous alike for its cacao and its pitch lake has always held a high place in the markets of the world although a year or two ago the inclusion of inferior cacao and the practice of claying was abused by a few growers and merchants with the object of stopping these abuses and of producing a uniform cacao there was formed a cacao planters association whose business it is to grade and bulk and sell on a cooperative basis the cacao produced by its members this experiment has proved successful and in 1918 the association handled the cacao from over 100 estates we may expect to see more of these cacao planters associations formed in various parts of the world for they are in line with the trend of the times towards large and ever larger unions and combinations trinidad is also progressive in its system of agricultural education and in its formation of agricultural credit societies the neighboring island of granada is mountainous smaller than the isle of wight and if the irish will forgive me greener than aaron's isle the methods of cacao cultivation in vogue there might seem natural to the british farmer but they are considered remarkable by cacao planters for in granada the soil on which the trees grow is forked or tilled possibly from this follows the equally remarkable corollary that the cacao trees flourish without a single shade tree the preparation of a bean receives as much care as the cultivation of the tree and the cacao which comes from the estates has an unvaried constancy of quality not infrequently giving one hundred percent of perfectly prepared beans it is largely due to this that the cacao from this small island occupies such an important position on the london market the cacao from san domingo is known commercially as Samana or Sanchez. A fair proportion is of inferior quality, 
and is little appreciated on the European markets. The bulk of it goes to America. The production in 1919 was about 23,000 tons. In the map of Africa, the principal producing areas are marked. Their production in 1918 was as follows. Cacao beans exported. Gold Coast, British, 66,343 metric tons, 24.5% of the world's production. San Tomé, 19,185 metric tons, 7.1% of the world's population. Lagos, British, 10,223 metric tons, 3.8% of the world's production. Fernando Po, 4,220 metric tons, 1.6% of the world's production. Cameroons, 1,250 metric tons, 0.4% of the world's production. Togo, 1,000 metric tons, 0.4% of the world's production. Belgian Congo, 875 metric tons, 0.3% of the world's production. African total, 103,096 tons, 38.1% of the world's production. British Africa, 76,566 tons, 28.3% of the world's production. The Gold Coast, Accra Cacao. The name recalls stories of a romantic and awful past in which gold and the slave trade played their terrible part. Happily, these things are of the past. So is the deadly climate. We are told that it is now no worse than that of the other tropical countries. According to Sir Hugh Clifford, until recently, governor of the Gold Coast, the West African climatic bogey is a myth, and the monumental reputation for unhealthiness undeserved. When De Candoli wrote concerning cacao, I imagine it would succeed on the Guinea coast, as the West African coast is sometimes called, he achieved prophecy, but he little dreamed how wonderful this success would be. The rise and growth of the cacao growing industry in the Gold Coast is one of the most extraordinary developments of the last few decades. In 30 years, it has increased its export of cacao from nothing to 40% of the total of the world's production. Production of cacao on the Gold Coast year 1891 quantity zero tons 80 pounds value in pounds four 1896 34 tons value in pounds 2276 1901 980 tons value in pounds 42837 1906 8,975 tons, value in pounds, 336,269. 1911, 30,798 tons, value in pounds, 1,613,468. 1916, 72,161 tons, value in pounds, 3,847,720. 1917, 90,964 tons, 
value in pounds three million one hundred forty six thousand eight hundred fifty one nineteen eighteen sixty six thousand three hundred forty three tons value in pounds one million seven hundred ninety six thousand nine hundred eighty five nineteen nineteen one hundred seventy seven thousand tons value in pounds eight million the conditions of production in the Gold Coast present a number of features entirely novel. We hear from time to time of concessions being granted in tropical regions to this or that company of enterprising European capitalists who employ a few Europeans and send them to the area to manage the industry. The inhabitants of the area become the manual wage earners of the company, and too often in the lust for profits, or as an offering to the god of commercial efficiency, the once easy and free life of the native is lost forever, and a form of wage slavery takes its place with doubtful effects on the life and health of the workers. In defense, it is pointed out that yet another portion of the earth has been made productive, which, without the initiative of European capitalists, must have lain fallow. But in the Gold Coast, the indolent native has created a new industry entirely native-owned, and in 30 years, the Gold Coast has outstripped all the areas of the world in quantity of produce. Forty years ago, the natives had never seen a cacao tree, now, at least 50 million trees flourish in the colony. This could not have happened without the strenuous efforts of the Department of Agriculture. The Gold Coast now stands head and shoulders above any other producing area for quantity. The problem of the future lies in the improvement of quality, and difficult though this problem be, we cannot doubt, given a fair chance, that the far-sighted and energetic agricultural department will solve it. Indeed, it must in justice be pointed out that already a very marked improvement has been made, and now 50 to 100 times as much good fermented cacao is produced as there was 10 years ago. However, if a high standard is to be maintained, the work of the Department of Agriculture must be supplemented by the willingness of the cacao buyers to pay a higher price for the better qualities. The phenomenal growth of this industry is the more remarkable when we consider the lack of roads and beasts of burden. The usual pack animals, horses and oxen, cannot live on the Gold Coast because of the tsetse fly which spreads amongst them the sleeping sickness. And so the native, used as he is to heavy head loads, naturally adopted this as his first method of transport and hundreds of the less affluent natives arrive at the collecting centers with great weights of cacao on their heads. Women and children, light-hearted, chattering and cheerful, bear their 60-pound head loads with infinite patience. Heavier loads, approaching sometimes 200 weight, are borne by grave, silent Hossa men, often a distance of over 30 or 40 miles. One day, not so many years ago, some more ingenious natives in the hills at the back of the coast filled an old palm barrel with cacao and rolled it down the ways to Accra. And now today it is a familiar sight to see a man trundling a huge barrel of cacao weighing half a ton down to the coast. 
the sound of a motor horn is heard and he wildly turns the barrel aside to avoid a disastrous collision with the new weird transport animal from europe motor lorries have been used with great effect on the coast for some seven years they have the advantage over pack animals that they do not succumb to the bite of the dreaded tetsy fly but nevertheless it not a few derelicts lie or stand on their heads in the ditches the victims of overwork or accident having brought the cacao to the coast there yet remains the lighterage to the ocean liner which lies anchored some two miles from the shore rising and falling to the great rollers from the broad Atlantic. A long boat is used, manned by some twenty swarthy natives, who glory, vocally, in their passage through the dangerous surf which roars along the sloping beach. The cacao is piled high on wood racks and covered with tarpaulins, and seldom shares the fate of passengers and crew who are often drenched in the surf before they swing by a crane in the primitive mammy chair high but not dry on board the hospitable elder dempster line san tome we now turn from the gold coast and the success of native ownership to another part of west africa a scene of singular beauty where the portuguese planters have triumphed over savage nature two lovely islands san tome and its little sister isle of principe lie right on the equator in the gulf of guinea about two hundred miles from the african mainland a warm lazy sea the sea of the doldrums sapphire or turquoise or in deep shaded pools a radiant green joyfully foams itself away against these fairy lands of tossing palm dense vegetation rushing cascades and purple precipitous peaks a soil of volcanic origin is covered with rich humus of decaying vegetation and this with a soft humid atmosphere makes an ideal home for cacao the bean introduced in eighteen twenty two was not cultivated with diligence till fifty years ago today the two islands which together have not half the area of surrey grow thirty two thousand metric tons of cacao a year or about one-tenth of the world's production. The income of a single planter, once a poor peasant, has amounted to hundreds of thousands of sterling. Dotted over the islands, here nestling on a mountainside, there overlooking some blue inlet of the sea, are more than two hundred plantations, or rocas, whose buildings look like islands in a green sea of cacao shrubs, above which rise the gray stems of such forest trees as have been left to afford shade. Here, not only have the cultivation, fermentation, and drying of cacao been brought to the highest state of perfection, but the details of organization, planters' homes, hospitals, cottages, drying sheds, and the Caville railways are often models of their kind. Intelligent and courteous, the planters make delightful hosts at their homes 5,000 miles away from Europe. The visitor, who knows what it means to struggle with steaming virgin forests, rank encroaching vegetation, deadly fevers, and the physical and mental inertia engineered by the tropics, will marvel at the courage and energy that have triumphed over such obstacles. Calculating from various estimates, 
each laborer in the islands appears to produce about one thousand six hundred forty pounds of cacao yearly and the average yield per cultivated acre is four hundred eighty pounds or about thirty pounds more than that of trinidad in eighteen ninety eight there is no available labor in san tome the planters get their workers from the mainland of africa prior to the year nineteen o eight the labor system of the island was responsible for grave abuses. This has now been changed. Natives from the Portuguese colonies of Angola and Mozambique now enter freely into contracts, ranging from one to five years, two years being the time generally chosen. At the end of their term of work, they either recontract or return to their native land with their savings, with which they generally buy a wife. The readiness with which the natives volunteer for the work on the islands is proof both of the soundness of the system of contract and of the good treatment they receive at the hands of the planters. Unfortunately, the mortality of the plantation labors has generally been very heavy, one large and well-managed estate recording on average of seven years an annual death rate of 148 per thousand, and many rocas still have more appalling records. Against this, other plantations only a few miles away may show a mortality approximating to that of an average European city. In February 1918, the workers in San Tomé numbered 39,605, and the deaths during the previous year, 1917, were 1,808, thus showing on official figures an annual mortality of 45 per thousand. Comparing this with the 26 per thousand of Trinidad, and remembering that most of the San Tomé laborers are in the prime of life, it will be seen that this death rate represents a heavy loss of life and justifies the continued demand from the British cocoa manufacturers for the appointment and report of a special medical commission. The Portuguese government is prepared to meet this demand, for it has recently sent a commissioner, Dr. Joaquim Guaiva, to San Tomé to make a thorough examination of labor conditions, including work, food, housing, hospitals, and medical attendants, and to report fully and confidentially to the Portuguese colonial secretary. If this important step is followed by adequate measures of reform, there is every reason to hope that the result will be a material reduction in the death rate, as the good health enjoyed on some of the rocas shows San Tomé to be not more unhealthy than other tropical islands. Cameroons the Cameroons, which we took from the Germans in 1916, is also on the west coast of Africa. It lags far behind the Gold Coast in output, although both commenced to grow cacao about the same time. The Germans spent great sums in the Cameroons in giving the industry a scientific basis. They adopted the estate plan, and possibly the fact that they employ contract labor explains why they have not had the same phenomenal success that the natives working for themselves have achieved on the Gold Coast. Various countries and districts, which are responsible for about 97% of the world's cacao crop, have now been named and briefly commented upon. Of other producing areas, the islands, Ceylon and Java, are worthy of mention. In both of these, as also in Venezuela, Samoa, and Madagascar, 
is grown the criollo cacao which produces the plump sweet beans with the cinnamon break cacao beans from ceylon or java are easily recognized by their appearance because being washed they have beautiful clean shells but there is a serious objection to washed shells namely that they are brittle and as thin as paper so that many are broken before they reach the manufacturer ceylon is justly famous for its fine old red along with this a fair quantity of inferior cacao is produced which by being called ceylon such is the power of a good name tends to claim a higher price than its quality warrants cacao markets from the plantation to the european market it is mentioned above that on the gold coast cacao is brought down to Accra as headloads or in barrels or in motor lorries these methods are exceptional in other countries it is usually put in sacks at the estate every estate has its own characteristic mark which is stamped on the bags and this is recognized by the buyers in europe and gives a clue to the quality of the contents there is not as yet a uniform weight for a bag of cacao although they all vary between one and two hundred count thus the bags from africa contain one and one fourth hundred weight whilst those from guayaquil contain one and three quarters hundred weights in these bags the cacao is taken to the port on the back of mules in horse or ox carts in canoes down a stream or more rarely by rail it is then conveyed by lighters or surf boats to the great ocean liners which lie anchored off the shore in the hold of the liner it is rocked thousands of miles over the azure seas of the tropics to the gray green seas of the temperate zone in pre-war days a million bags used to go to hamburg three-quarters of a million to new york half a million to haver and only a trifling quarter of a million to london now london is the leading cacao market of the world during the war the supplies were cut off from hamburg whilst liverpool becoming a chief port for african cacao in 1916 imported a million bags then new york began to gorge cacao and in 1917 created a record importing some two and a half million bags or about 150,000 tons whilst everything is in so fluid a condition it is unwise to prophesy it may however be said that there are many who think now that the consumption of cocoa and chocolate in america has reached such a prodigious future that new york may yet oust london and become the central dominating market of the world difficulties of buying every country produces a different kind of cacao and the cacao from any two plantations in the same country often shows wide variation it may be said that there are as many kinds of cacao as there are of apples cacao showing as marked differences as exhibited by crabs and blenheims not to mention james greaves russets worcester pearmains newton wonders lord derby's belle de bascoups and so forth further whilst the bulk of the cacao is good and sound a little of the cacao grown in any district is liable to have suffered from drought or from attacks by molds or insect pests it will be realized from these fragmentary remarks that the buyer must exercise perpetual vigilance 
cacao sales before the cocoa prices orders were published march 1918 the manner of conducting the sale of cacao in london was as follows brokers lists giving the kinds of cacao for sale and the number of bags of each were sent together with samples to the buyers some days beforehand so that they were able to decide what they wished to purchase and the price they were willing to pay the sales always took place at eleven o'clock on tuesdays in the commercial sale room in mincing lane that narrow street off finchurch street where the air is so highly charged with expert knowledge of the world's produce that it would illuminate the prosaic surroundings with brilliant flashes if it could become visible on the morning of the sale samples of the cacaos are on exhibit at the principal brokers the man in the street brought into the broker's office would ask what these strange beans might be a new kind of almond he might ask and then, on being told they were cacao, he would see nothing to choose between all the various lots, and wonder why so much fuss was made over discriminating amongst the similar and distinguishing the identical. He might even marvel a little at the expert knowledge of the buyers, yet, frankly, the pertinent facts concerning quality known by the buyer are fewer and no more difficult to learn than the thousand and one facts a lad must have at his finger ends to pass the london matriculation they are valued because they are inaccessible to the multitude only a few people have the opportunity of learning them and their use may make or mar fortunes the judgment of quality is however only one side of the art of buying we have to add to these a knowledge of the conditions prevailing in the various markets of the world, a knowledge of stocks and probable supplies, and given this knowledge an ability to estimate their effect, together with other conditions, agricultural, political and social, on the price of the commodity. The room in which the sales are conducted is not a large one, and usually not more than a hundred people, buyers, pressmen, etc. are present. Not a single cacao bean is visible, and it might be an auction sale of property for all the uninitiated could tell. The cacao is put up in lots. Usually, the sales proceed quietly, and it is difficult to realize that many thousands of bags of cacao are changing hands. The buyers have perfect trust in the broker's descriptions. They know the invariable fair play of the British broker, which is a byword the world over. The machinery of the proceedings is lubricated by an easy flow of humor. Sometimes a few bags of sea-damaged cacao or of cacao sweepings are put up and a good deal of keenness is shown by the individuals who buy this stuff. It is curious that a whole crowd of busy people will allow their time to be taken up whilst there is a spirited fight between two or three buyers for a single bag. Whilst the London auction sales are of importance as fixing the prices for the various markets and reflecting to a certain extent the position of supply and demand, only a fraction of the world's cacao changes hands at the auction sales, the greater part of it being bought privately for forward delivery. The price of cacao is liable to fluctuations like every other product. Thus, in 1907, Trinidad cacao rose to one shilling a pound, whilst there have been periods when it has only fetched six pence per pound. 
on april second nineteen eighteen the food controller fixed the prices of the finest qualities of the different varieties of raw cacao as follows british west africa acra sixty five s per hundredweight bahia cameroons san tome congo and granada eighty five s per hundredweight trinidad demerara guayaquil suriname ninety s per hundredweight ceylon java and samoa one hundred s per hundredweight the diagram on page one hundred thirteen shows the average market price in the united kingdom of some of the more important cacaos before during and after the war the most striking change is the sudden rise when the government control was removed all cacaos showed a substantial advance varying from 80 to 150 percent on pre-war values. Further, large advances have taken place in the early months of 1920. The Call of the Tropics Many a young man, reading in some delightful book of travel, has longed to go to the tropics and see the wonders for himself. There can be no doubt that a sojourn in equatorial regions is one of the most educative of experiences. In support of this, I cannot do better than to quote Grant Allen, who regarded the tropics as the best of all universities. But above all, in educational importance, I rank the advantage of seeing human nature in its primitive surroundings far from the squalid and chilly influences of the tail end of the glacial epoch. We must forget all this formal modern life. We must break away from this cramped, cold northern world. We must find ourselves face to face at last in Pacific Isles or African forests with underlying truths of simple naked nature. Many will recall how Charles Kingsley's longing to see the tropics was ultimately satisfied. In his book, in which he describes how he at last visited the West Indies, we read that he encountered a happy Scotchman living a quiet life in the dear little island of Manos. I looked at the natural beauty and repose, at the human vigor and happiness, and I said to myself, and said it often afterwards in the West Indies, why do not other people copy this wise Scot? Why should not many a young couple who have education, refinement, resources in themselves, but are happily or unhappily for them unable to keep a Roman and go to London balls, retreat to some such paradise as this, and there are hundreds like it to be found in the West Indies, leaving behind them a false civilization and vain desires and useless show, and there live in simplicity and content the gentle life the planter's life few who go to the tropics escape their fascination and of those that are young few return to colder climes some become overseers others more fortunate own the estates they manage it is inadvisable for the inexperienced to start on the enterprise of buying and planting an estate with less capital than two or three thousand pounds but once established a cacao plantation may be looked upon as a permanent investment which will continue to bear and give a good yield as long as it receives proper attention 
In the recently published Letters of Anthony Farley, the writer tells how Farley encounters in South America an old college friend of his, who in his early days was on the high road to a brilliant political career. Here he is, a planter. He explains, My mother was Spanish. Her brother owned this place. When he died, it came to me. How did your uncle hold it through the various revolutions? Nothing simpler. He became an American citizen. When trouble threatened, he made a beeline for the United States consulate. I'm British, of course. Well, just when I had decided upon a political life, I found it necessary to come here to straighten things out. One month lengthened itself into a year. I grew fascinated. Here I felt a sense of immense usefulness. On the mountainside, my coffee trees flourished. Down in the valley grew cacao. I grow mine on undulations. You need it, you know, so long as you drain. Yes, but draining on the flat is the devil. Anyhow, I always liked animals. You haven't seen my pigs yet, and horses and mules need careful tending. A cable arrived one morning announcing an impending dissolution. I felt like an unwilling bridegroom called to marry an ugly bride. I invited my soul. Here, thought I to myself, are animals and foodstuffs. Good, honest food at that. If I go back, it is only to fill people's bellies with political east wind. To come to the point, I decided to grow coffee and cacao. I cabled infinite regrets. The decision once made, I was as happy as a sand boy. Jesuit, ye rest, I said to myself, said I, nor have I ever cast one longing look behind. This is fiction, but I think it is true that very few, if any, who become planters in the tropics ever return permanently to England. The hospitality of the planters is proverbial. There must be something good and free about the planter's life to produce so many men and so genial and generous. There is a picture that I often recall, and never without pleasure. A young planter and I had, with the help of more or less willing mules, climbed over the hills from one valley to the next. The valley we had left is noted for its beauty, but to me it had become familiar. The other valley I saw now for the first time. The sides were steep and covered with trees, and I could only see one dwelling in the valley. We reached this by a circuitous path through the cacao trees. Approaching it as we did, the bungalow seemed completely cut off from the rest of the world. We were welcomed by the planter and his wife, and by those of the children who were not shy. I have never seen more chubby or jolly kitties, and I know from the sweetness of the children that their mother must have given them unremitting attention. I wondered indeed if she ever left them for a moment. I knew, too, from the situation of the bungalow in the heart of the hills that visitors were not likely to be frequent. The planter's life is splendid for a man who likes open air and nature, but I had sometimes thought that their wives would not find the life so good. I was mistaken. When we came away, after riding some distance, through a gap in the cacao, we saw across the valley a group of happy children. They saw us, and all of them, even the shy ones, waved us adieu. End of chapter 4